Oh, user experience of podcasts. User experience, yes, yes. Tell me about what is the what is the best user experience for this podcast? Well, it depends on your users. What what context they'll be listening to this? Is it something quick over breakfast? Then like a twenty minute podcast is great for that. Or if this is like something you imagine people will be listening to in a long car ride, then something longer would be maybe more spacious would be good. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, I guess my motivation is like I would love to learn more about uh, Jessica Fan, and yeah, I would like to learn about what are Jessica Fan's、uh, visions for how the world can build community. I've certainly been influenced by your ideas, and so I would love to spread、Aww. that influence more.、Um, so that's that's my that's my motivation and what I want to get out of this. But you know, you're more than happy to ask me things as well. Like if there are things that you want to learn about Bill May that you have not. Oh yeah, there's so much I want to learn about you. I think there's a lot of convergence,、uh, or intersections, or overlaps with what we're both thinking and doing.、Um, so yeah, maybe maybe it's more of a two-way thing. I, I like that approach. I I think、uh, yeah, we can we can do that.、Uh, it doesn't have to be the traditional podcast thing where it's like as the host I just sit here and like ask all the questions and then you just do all the answers.、Um, so we can we can formally start now,、uh, whatever that means. Um, so I guess I'll do, I'll do the quick intro. Sounds good. Welcome to the podcast.、Um, I do not know what this podcast is titled yet. Maybe we will figure that out in our conversation.、Um, but I have here with me the illustrious and wonderful super connector and community builder Jessica Fan, close friend of mine. Love talking to her. I hope you will enjoy this conversation as well. Jess, thanks for being here. So happy to be here, Bill. Really honored to be your first guest. On this experiment, yeah. So, so Jess, one thing I'm really curious about, and like maybe this is something that you can introduce or explain, is octopuses. <laughs> Tell me about why are octopuses so special? Oh, I love octopuses, as you know. <laughs> I can't stop talking about them.、Um, so it was some time ago that I I learned that octopuses are very intriguing in, in like biologically. Um, they have many tentacles, and these tentacles are all semi-autonomous. They kind of have their like minds of their own, even though they are connected to, you know, the same body. And that was a really intriguing concept to me, and it made me think, hey, perhaps humans are rather like octopuses,、um, in that every person is a an independent tentacle, a semi-independent. Um, we all have our own minds, our you know our own behaviors, our own unique ways of seeing the world, and yet we are all very much connected with each other in a kind of a meta organism. Whether that's、um, that organism is the scope of friends and family, or a community octopus, or a city octopus, or a global octopus, we are all. Independent actors within this larger system, and so it's like if there's two tentacles that are having a fight with each other, it's like they're not actually fighting each other; they're、mm-hmm. part of the same octopus. It would be like my left hand being like, "No, right hand, <laughs> do the bad thing," and then like they're like, "Yeah, yeah I don't know." I, I think that when we do come into conflict with other people and end up hurting them or they hurt us, it actually does hurt us as a collective. And a lot of the things we're experiencing right now,、um, in terms of politics or even conflicts within an, an organization or a family, 
um, if they're not resolved in a generative way, like if, if people aren't really open to talking it out or really understanding each other and end up harming each other, it, it really hurts everyone, the collective. It's like an octopus having one of its tentacles or many of its tentacles cut off. Like it's not good for the, <laughs> the whole organism. Yeah, it's really shifted my way of thinking about my relationships. Yeah, I think I think your octopus idea is like one of the one of these like classic just fan ideas that I like <laughs> that I, I refer to often actually to people because I think it's like it's very concrete, you know, and like and you learn cool fun things about octopuses, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I think it's a very apt metaphor for uh, the human connection that we sometimes miss, you know, and like I, and like you you turn this into a blog post too, even which the illustrations are really beautiful, which I highly encourage anyone listening to to go look at. I'll, I'll link this in the show notes, I guess. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I think one kind of outstanding question that you had and that maybe I'm thinking about as well is that like, uh, you know, you say octopuses only have eight tentacles, right? But like, what happens if we have this kind of seven billion tentacle octopus that is uh, humanity? You know, how, how does, does that even work? Or like, what, what does that even look like? This like, uh, mm-hmm. 7 billion tentacled octopus. Do, do you have any like latest thinking on that? Or? <laughs> it's still a, a question that's very much alive for me. Yeah, I, I, I feel like octopuses have eight tentacles for a reason. Like they don't have nine, they don't have seven or three. I, I feel like they've been, they've evolved to optimize for the right number of tentacles for the size of its brain, its, its overall body, and its organs, and what it's able to achieve in its ecosystem. And so kind of applying that same thinking to humanity, like our, our human octopus, I've really been wondering, like, are are there maximum numbers of tentacles in each kind of human octopus. If we exceed that that maximum number, does it actually harm the octopus? Um, or you know what what things have to change in order to accommodate for more tentacles? <laughs> um, so an example being, let's say in an organization, if your if your head is a, a standard size, and the head representing perhaps this organization's uh, central governance team, their, the management team or leadership. I'm going to call my boss uh, an octopus head from now on. <laughs> I, yeah, I could totally do that. Uh, yeah, it's like the, the central command of, of this, this organization organism. Um, is, you know, if, if the head was to stay the same size as like uh, this organization having two people versus a thousand people, I think that there might be some some issues. <laughs> like I, I feel like the the type of head you would need to manage a two two tentacle <laughs> octopus would be it, it wouldn't really apply to like an a thousand person tentacle uh, octopus. I guess what would a two tentacle octopus look like? That's a pretty funny. <laughs> like it, it's it's basically a worm, right? Like you have <laughs> one tentacle on one side of the worm, and then one tentacle is the other side of the worm. Maybe I'll just use the term polypus. Okay, interesting. Maybe that's more inclusive of multi-tentacle. Yeah. Is that an actual uh, biological organisms. word? I think that's the Latin word for okay. octopus. Polypus. It also sounds much cuter. In, instead of a, a duopus, I guess. Your, uh, <laughs> yeah. Your two-tentacled octopus. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been kind. Of, I, I think this model is actually quite fun to play with because you can um, kind of pressure test some hypotheses, <laughs> um, and yeah, it, to me, it doesn't make sense that like an octopus with two tentacles has the same kind of head as a thousand uh, tentacle octopus. Like something probably needs to change biologically um, to accommodate for that number of new tentacles. Or, or maybe it's like the head and tentacle model stops working at some point and now you need like a multi-headed octopus yeah for the... yeah exactly like i don't think it can be the same system that well you can't assume that the same system would apply right okay interesting and like how does this apply to to your work uh i guess right because this is what you do right in a way yeah <laughs> you like go into the octopuses you're like yeah. the um like i'm imagining like your job as like being the navy seals of uh going into organizations and like making sure all the tentacles are behaving. <laughs> um, not, not quite. Um, so for those of the, who are listening who don't know, I work at a systems change consultancy called Rios Partners. And what that means is we specialize in helping people learn to collaborate. Oftentimes people with um, very diverse perspectives who come from very diverse parts of a system. This could be that of a healthcare system or an education system. It could be an organization, because uh, within an organization, there are many different departments that don't really talk to each other. Um, it could even be across a whole country um, that's struggling with peace and democracy, um, where you have social activists and government and the military who you know, aren't really seeing eye to eye on things. And um, regardless of what kind of system we find that the principles are the same, that if there are many people with different points of view, oftentimes othering or enemifying happens, because uh, people just you know tend to um, see from their particular lens or their particular parts of the system, um, kind of in these silos. And there aren't very many opportunities for them to have generative conversations with people on the other side uh, to really understand where they're coming from and in order to kind of look at these really complex problems from a higher level uh, perspective and, and work forward together um, to solve it. Lots of these systems are stuck because people are kind of deadlocked in, in this me against you or you know they're to blame kind of dynamic. So what we do is we, well we usually are approached by members of these systems that are stuck when they've tried all other options. They've tried forcing their way through. They've tried um, you know, every other tactic. And usually it's a last resort where they are like, okay, I guess we have to learn how to work in a new way. We have to learn how to actually talk to each other and collaborate. And we help to design and facilitate a process where they can come into the same space together. And oftentimes for the first time ever, have real deep, heart-to-heart -heart conversations to understand. Understand what the system looks like from another person's eyes and see their own role in this problem and learn how to envision what a better future could be together and, and move forward through that and experiment their way forward together. Especially because it does sound like what you're doing is very difficult for people, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially because people, I think, either don't want to change usually, or they don't realize they have to change. I do feel like this question of like, how do we get people to 
you know, not do the othering of our our fellow uh, our fellow humanity, our fellow octopus. Mm-hmm. This is this is like the challenge of our time, right? Um, as uh, our generation, especially, we have to figure this out. You know, it's it's gonna be very important. It is very important. Um, and so, you know, I'm curious, maybe like, are there particular tactics or techniques or things that you have found to be effective in, you know, breaking down those barriers or getting people to realize that they are part of the same whole? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about what are those, I suppose, success factors for a thriving, resilient system that applies to every system, whether that's a whole country or whether that's a family system. And I've started to learn more about Buddhism and different ancient traditions where I, I'm realizing that, oh, they've actually figured this out. <laughs> like the, the, the success factors have already been identified by cultures from thousands of years ago. And it's in religious texts, it's in spiritual texts, it's in stories, it's in philosophies. And I'm realizing, like, they have the answers. Um, we just need to resurface them and, and maybe learn how to tell it in a new way. And, and so what, what are, like, some of these answers? Yeah, so about four years ago, I was really fortunate to meet um, Hans Kruger. Uh, he's a, kind of an innovation leader, um, and we met at a, a retreat for innovators in the woods of Minnesota. It was a very interesting gathering, very inspiring. Well, there was an open space session, which basically means that people can just come in and share anything they would like to offer to the group. And Hans shared with us what he learned from Nyingma Buddhism. And essentially what he shared blew my mind. (laughs) It kind of helped me peel back. the, the layer of my reality and <laughs> understand kind of what was this operating system behind reality that was influencing the way I perceive things. To summarize, he talked about these four pillars that if, once, if you cultivate these pillars in your life, um, they essentially can help you find inner peace, joy, and connection. And cultivate a really strong, resilient inner system uh, where, where you can be in a state of radiance, state of thriving, thrivingness, <laughs> regardless of what is happening outside of you. To set some context for our listeners, Jess is referring to an article she wrote called The Cycle of Emotions, which I will link in the show notes. I encourage you to take a look because she has some amazing drawings that really enhance the ideas that she's going to present here. And so these four pillars are, um, number one, love. And, and I see love as the ability to connect really deeply with yourself and others in, in an authentic way. And the second one being compassion. And compassion is seeing your, your own well-being as a equal to the well-being of others and vice versa. And the third being joy. And to me, I define joy as uh, being in a state of flow where your inside is aligned with your outside, aligned with your inner authentic self um, in how you show up in the world. And the fourth is equanimity, where it's, uh, I guess, being able to see things with a clear, calm, 
objective. And if you're able to find, I guess, adopt daily practices that allow you to cultivate each of these pillars, it can, it can actually create a very resilient inner system within. And, and I've been thinking that, you know what, these four pillars are totally relevant for larger systems, like interpersonal systems, family systems, community systems. For example, how am I cultivating the pillar of love with other people in my community? Um, how am I connecting deeply with, with others and so I can, can see and appreciate and respect and honor their true selves? And how am I showing up in a way where I am compassionate, um, understanding that everybody is trying the best that they can uh, even if they're pissing me off for whatever reason on that day, um, how can I show up uh, like understanding that they're they're going through a lot, that they're acting based on the information that they have, and that everybody's on their own journey. And um, even if they might be saying harmful things or doing things that maybe is negatively impacting me, like I can still be understanding of that. Yeah, how am I encouraging others to tap into their, their authentic self and finding their own flow and, and bringing their full self into the world in joy? Lastly, for equanimity, like how, how am I helping my community see itself more openly and objectively to be able to see potential conflicts from a, a, a view without filters? so that we can acknowledge what is happening and, and figure out how to move forward versus be clouded in frustration or, or anger or sadness. Yeah, I'm kind of constantly thinking about like what, what are some structures and processes or rituals or practices that I can bring into my community that help to cultivate these at a higher level. I really like how you've thought about this on like a personal action level, right? Because I think like when it comes to designing systems, it's it's really easy to fall into this trap of like, you know, oh, everything would be better if, if only X changed, right? And like, I just need someone else to do the changing, right? But it's like, I think, I think you're approaching this from the sense of like, it's kind of like, you know, putting your own house in order first, you know, before uh, bringing everyone else in your community into the fold, recursing up one level, right? And then like, you know, once you've gotten your personal community on board, right? Like kind of, then spreading that message out towards people who may be more distant and then kind of doing it that way instead of being like, oh, well, you know, I just need this other group to change before everything can get better. I, I like how this approach that you've taken comes from this like self-understanding first before, you know, moving on to the like bring other people together. Otherwise, it's like you would be starting from the combative stance, right? Of saying, oh, well, everything's broken, but then it's other people's fault. Yeah, I, and I found that that never, that never really helps. <laughs> To, to, to show up that way. <laughs> right, for sure. I actually didn't realize this was the backstory um, behind, because uh, I think this is also how you came up with your own personal life operating system, right? Yeah, it was, uh, I would say learning those four pillars from Hans really, it, it kind of felt like the Rosetta Stone Interesting. for me. Uh, it, it gave me a new paradigm to understand how to design my life like I, I learning that I, I realized oh even if I fall into anger or fear or um, despair uh, there is a way out there is something that I 
can choose to do to get myself out by cultivating these pillars. It, and it has to be an ongoing practice. It can't just be like, I, I do one thing one day and then I'm set. <laughs> I'm realizing you have to really bake this into every part of your life. I'm, I'm looking up at my wall right now. I actually have those four pillars on these big pink stickies. Yeah, that's and amazing. I love project managing things. <laughs> I love organizing things and turning ideas into action. And so under every one of those pillars, love, compassion, joy, and equanimity, I've brainstormed Oh, what are what are some things that I'm doing over the next few months on a daily basis that feed into those things? For love, I have connecting deeper with my mom, <laughs> like calling her more often and, and hearing the stories of her growing up and what she's experiencing right now. Also connecting more deeply with my cousin in China. Uh, and I, I now have a bi-weekly uh, call set up with her to yeah, just build that relationship. And we never grew up together, so this is really new and, and special to me. For joy, I have music making, poetry, art, writing, illustration. Like these are all things that I, I know give me a lot of energy. And I, I, I do it in my spare time <laughs> in between meetings. Sometimes I'll, I'll do a bit of dance um, just to get myself in that flow again. Uh, yeah, and with equanimity, it's daily journaling and reflection. Having conversations like these actually um, is really helpful. Just being intentional about building this into my everyday. I'm very impressed like how much you uh, take your kind of these like frameworks and like your mental operating systems and and you like you like externalize them in this like beautiful illustration essentially um you know and like not not only because you do have a blog post about this which I will link in the show notes uh which do have like incredible illustrations uh on those but even just in your like built environment right the fact that you like decorated your room with all these stickies with all the notes and the reminders for yourself um, and the, like, I'm looking at your background right now, which has all of your paintings and like the wonderful plants and, um, uh, you know, all, all of the things that bring you joy mm. and like give you this like physical reminder of the values that you try to cultivate. I, I, I really enjoy that. And like, and like, that's, that's one thing that has inspired me even, um, to start doing things like that. Like one thing I do is, uh, you know, I try to keep in touch with friends of mine using postcards. Right. And it used to be like, you know, oh, I would get postcards or birthday cards or things. And I would just kind of like put them in the drawer somewhere. But then I realized like, hey, like I should be putting these up on my wall mm -hmm. because it is really awesome that there are these people around me in my community, uh, you know, that I enjoy being in the presence of. Um, and it, it's good to have a reminder there. Right. Otherwise, like you wouldn't put your friends in the drawer. You wouldn't put them <laughs> on the wall. So that's what I'm doing with all the, the letters and the, and the cards I get uh, and and your yeah and so I think your uh, home environment is uh, part of what inspired me to, to do that and so it, yeah it's just like it's a very like kind of a fun and joyful way of like bringing joy into your life I think that's it's really good I'm so happy to hear that I actually have your card right behind oh, me oh nice <laughs> <laughs> from Christmas it really it was a very moving card and I was so happy and grateful to receive it. Yeah, and I feel like you've been a huge influence on, on my life as well. Just the like seemingly limitless energy you have. Sure, yeah. And positivity and your go-getterness. 
Like who who just goes and builds their own home gym? <laughs> like <laughs> that's not a normal thing, Bill. <laughs> Is it though? But like I feel like I uh, uh, like I don't know. It just like to me in my mind, it's not even like that wasn't even a question, right? It was just like oh the gym's closed because of COVID, so I'm just gonna build my own gym. Like duh. I don't know. It just it just yeah, felt like the obvious thing. To I don't do. think that's the normal <laughs> normal response. Like the the average person wouldn't do that. But like I loved how you documented that whole process of creating was it like cement blocks? Yeah, yeah. For your weights and you did carpentry to create that I don't even know what it's called, the thing that you uh, hang off of. Yeah, the um squat stands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, okay. So, uh, yeah. So the context here is, um, yeah, because my, my gym closed because uh, of um, COVID-19. So I was like, uh, you know, I, I, I want to work out. I like working out. And I think it, having the space to do that, you know, I think it was very important for not only my physical health, but also my mental health, right? Like having that routine in and like having a space to exercise. So, yeah, essentially I like Googled this, like how to build a gym in, at home. Um, because I think at the time, this was like March, April, 2020, you know, everything was sold out too, right? Like everybody bought everything because, you know, gyms are closed. So there, everything was out of stock. There were no dumbbells. There were no barbells. There were no weights. There were, there was nothing. And so I decided, okay, well, I'll just like go to the hardware store and like make my own squat stands and like pour my own concrete to make concrete plates. Um, and fortunately I did order a barbell, uh, but if that if I wasn't able to get that, I would have, I don't know, go to the junkyard, get a piece of rebar or something like that. But I guess to me, it was never a question of like, you know, oh, like, should I do this or not? It was just, I have a problem. I need to have a gym. And so I just solved the problem. You just it's did like, it. Oh, I'll just build my own <laughs> gym. Yeah. So. <laughs> I love it. It's it's very inspiring to me. I, I mean, you talk about how I just went and made this operating system that I, I live by. I think it's you very much live that same thing in your life like when you see a problem you just make the solution happen right and yeah I was reflecting on like you know what are the things that really light me up that energize me that um mm, are tapped into my inner creative self and like what are you know if I can't do it in in my current circumstance how can I create circumstances where I can live that and and do that and I was realizing, you know, I just wasn't feeling like I was learning very much, that I wasn't being, you know, that I wasn't feeling very challenged or um, stimulated. And I was like, you know what? You know, there are actually some big questions that I have in my head. Like, I should just start Googling things and learning things and finding online courses and um, talking to people and, and kind of prototyping little side projects. And that's you know, that, that kind of turned into a, a trickle of energy and now it's more of a river and I'm feeling very much more in flow with myself. Like I've kind of found a way out of that on my own versus just waiting for things to change. And um, yeah, I see you as someone who is just fully in that joy pillar. <laughs> like it just seems like it's your natural state to be there. Um, yeah, and so that's one of the, the greatest things I admire about you. Aw, thank you. I'm curious about like, uh, and and I mean, this is this is a question that you asked as well, right? Um, when you're in the zone of like, well, why does anything matter, right? Um, I think you asked this very interesting question, which is like, what is your overall goal and success criteria for your life? Um, and I I think it's really this is a, a very just fanism, which is like you you wrote success criteria for your life, um, instead of like 
uh, you know, what do you want to do with your life? I think that's what a, <laughs> to, uh, what a regular person would say. But the just fanism is like success criteria. <laughs> so yeah, I'm curious, like kind of what is that? Like what drove you to, to ask that? And like, and like uh, you, you got some like really amazing responses, I think too. Yeah, I mean, I, I asked that on my Facebook uh, because I needed some inspiration and some guidance from others. And I am just so grateful for the people that are in my life, the, the people in my relationship garden, because what they wrote and shared about what guides their life was just so inspiring. And uh, I, I saw this theme of being very much aware of of who you are and not really caring about what other people's paths are but being really happy with how you are growing and how you are expressing and how you are giving to society uh, and you know being in service of others um quite a few people wrote about the importance of of giving love to others and nobody wrote success criteria being like how much money I make or how famous I am. Well, because those people are too famous for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just feel like these these people who are around me, they're just like, I, I, I just feel like they're so wise and grounded and constantly remind me to be my better, higher self. Yeah, and thinking about how I would answer the question. Number one is, I guess, a success criteria being that I am fully awake for every moment of my life, that I'm not just kind of unconsciously drifting through it, even if that means I am fully experiencing uh, a lot of suffering, anger and pain, um, or fully experiencing lots of joy and thrill and, and love, I think it's actually quite important as a human being to experience that whole spectrum, that that's maybe one of the benefits of being in this body on this earth having the unique perspective that I do Um, the second one is inner and outer growth and the image that comes to my mind is that of a a tree I'm really inspired by trees and octopuses sometimes I combine the the visuals to like make make tree octopuses but I, I feel that it's really important for me to grow my roots deeper Um, And to me, that means getting a a clear, deeper sense of who I am without the, you know, kind of the influence or programming of of the outside world or other people. And I found that I've actually had to do a lot of unprogramming because I think we're all born into the society where there is a default and that's kind of the way that you're trained to think. But a lot of it's not really authentic to who we are, at least that's what I found for myself. And so it's, you know, how do I strip away those, those, those not helpful layers that aren't me and, and grow my roots deeper into this, this nourishing earth that is me. And I'm finding that the more I grow my roots deeper, the more I can tap into that creative self that's within me. And the more art and, and music and, and dance that I end up doing, like I'm kind of clearing out the gutters of all of the gunk that's been stuck that's not allowing me to really flow with myself. De-weeding your garden. Yeah, totally. And then there, so that's like inner growth. Um, and with that, I can really feel, actually, when I do that, I also feel much more deeply connected with other people too. 
Because I, I feel like if you go down deep enough, you can reach a place where it's actually where everybody is connected. And maybe that's the head of the octopus, the, the spiritual octopus. And then there's the outer growth, which is like the branches of a tree. I can grow my branches outwardly in, in a, kind of a healthy way if, if I am strongly rooted. You can be a tree that's not very rooted and you can try to grow your branches really, really uh, high, but at a certain point, you're gonna topple over. And I, I mean, I felt that in myself. I've seen it happen to many others where for many reasons, they're just not connected with who they are, that they're constantly pursuing outer growth, but it's, it's not rooted. It's not tapping into this inner energy source and eventually they'll run out of steam and they'll have to start to grow those roots. Um, so anyway, that's number two <laughs> success criteria, doing both of those things. Uh, what was number three? Um, oh yeah, being in service of others. And I, I think this comes back to realizing that we are all connected. We are all part of the same octopus. So how can I find ways to grow inwardly and outwardly and have that be in service of others? And I think that the more that I am able to express my full authentic self, being aware also of where others are at and the kind of help that they need, the more in service I can be to the world. Yeah, whether that's through work or just showing up as a kind and generous person or expressing how I see the world through art to make it more colorful to others, being in service of other people. Community building too. Yeah. Oh, totally. Community building. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that because yeah. that's, that was the original theme, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, the, we, we talked about a lot of things, but I think um, I'm, I'm really interested uh, maybe in your perspective on this um, because I think as a community builder myself and as yourself as well, uh, I think a lot of us had had to adapt to the pandemic. A lot of the techniques and things that we were used to in connecting people in person, you know, we couldn't do anymore. And so, uh, you know, we sort of had this temporary state where we're like, okay, well, let's just bring everything we know in person online and see how we feel about that. Um, and that's where we had our, you know, online hangouts. And, and, you know, a lot of those things have worked more or less, I think, uh, as especially as we got used to it. Um, but I'm, I'm actually really curious how the community building is going to evolve and kind of change and especially going forward after the pandemic, right? Like what, what does, what does online connecting even mean? Or how does that feel like going forward, you know, now that we can be back in person, right? Because for more than a year now, we've been in the zone where we didn't have a choice, right? Like online was the only option. I guess what I'm trying to ask is like, what, what does the community of 2022 look like? I feel like I've talked a lot, so why don't you go first? Sure, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I, this is something I, I think about, which is like, so for some context, like Idea Club is this, uh, you know, book club that I that I host. And so one of, one of the activities that we did, I thought was really interesting, was we had an event that was online first, meaning that it was actually, it would actually have been impossible to do this type of an event in person. Um, and that it was actually made better by being online versus in person. Um, and the specific activity that we did was we took a book, uh, or actually in this case, it was an article uh, from Danella Meadows. And we basically put it into a, a Google Doc and then we would all be on that Google Doc and like live commenting and like making notes and asking questions and discussing it as we were going. And you can see everyone's cursors moving around. Um, and I I really enjoyed that experience because it this was an event that you could never have done in person. 
right? Um, where we would all look at the same document and like not only could we like kind of interrogate it and grapple with it and learn from it, but you could see through everyone's cursors like the sections that people were like highlighting, the questions that people were asking in this like kind of wild collaborative space. Uh, and it, it truly felt like a mind meld in a way that you, I don't think you could have replicated in person because in person you, you could not get this kind of like parallel communication going on, right? Where everybody is like, on the same document at the same time. Whereas being online really enabled that, you know? Um, and uh, you, there, there would not have been a way to, to discuss something like that other than the traditional format of like going serially. Everyone just goes in a circle and like, you know, we each share our thoughts and you have to reply to a person. But, but, the, but the like parallel creation there was I think really unlocked the ability for people to kind of create and like generate ideas in a way that would not have been possible in person. Um, so that was a really interesting and cool event that I, I, I really enjoyed um, because I, I realized that this was something that was online first, truly. Mm. Like, so here's the thing. In 2022, it's not like we just kind of go back in person and then everything is the same, right? Because like we've also realized uh, that the world has changed and the world has changed for a lot of people, right? Especially, you know, the white collar working people. Like we all are working remotely now and like a lot of companies are going fully remote. And so uh, the world of 2022 is not going to be like the world of 2019 where you just go back to that. It's, it's a world where a lot of people have moved, right? They've moved to either really rural or really suburban locations. Like I know a lot of people who they moved out of downtown Toronto, you know, and they, they got a place, not, not just in the suburbs, but like way out in the suburbs, right? Um, and so, you know, we're in this new environment where the physical distance is also spread out more, uh, which is also kind of interesting. Like, I, I wonder if that density is going to come back. Are people going to miss the the in-person city life more? So, like, I also acknowledge that I'm very weird when it comes to this in that, like, I don't have as hard of a time as most people um, in terms of, like, just, yeah, just meeting new people and, like, being really active and, like, having that energy, right? And just, like, putting stuff together and making things happen. Um, so I'm really comfortable and I really enjoy doing that. Um, and so... So it could be that just like I'm biased in that, like in my network, like I just end up meeting a lot of people um, and am able to like recreate that physical space, right? But uh, like, like I, I wonder like how the like wider context and the community is going to come together or are people going to come together in the same way? Mm -hmm. So, okay. So, here, so here's like my real question, right? Is like, it could not have all been a waste, right? It's like, we did learn and discover some really interesting things that we would not have um, from this whole remote experience. And so question I have is like, what can we take away from that and like bring back the best parts to in-person socializing? Um, you know, people talk about like hybrid events, right? Like, like what if we could host a learning night um, where, and we always used to do this, right? We always, we always live streamed learning nights, right? Even before the pandemic. But I, I wonder if there's a way of doing that now uh, that is more inclusive of our online audience rather than just having them be some kind of unknown face behind a screen you know, watching through this live stream camera, maybe there's a way of incorporating the online folks who, because they're dispersed across different geographies and different time zones, we can have them experience the magic of an in-person learning night, even if they can't be there physically. That would let us, uh, you know, bring in and access so many more people who can contribute their perspectives in a way beyond what we used to do, which is just set up a camera and then yeah. just kind of ignore it. Yeah, I I would really hope that that continues to happen. These this hybrid approach that you speak of. I'm reflecting on how much I do appreciate being 
physically close with other people. I think that there is something really special about that the tangible presence of another human being and 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 also just that informal space right like between speakers when we can chat with each other casually we can bump into someone over food <laughs> and i miss all the body language yeah and the body language and just the the organic nature the emergent nature of in person um, like that's something I, I definitely miss and I'm really eager to experience again. And like you were saying, there's so many benefits of online tools now. Like the fact that we could include people who aren't in Toronto. Like I, I hosted, uh, you know, the series of virtual coffee house events. And basically this is like it's just online talent show <laughs> that I forced my friends into. <laughs> And some people willingly did it. Um, but I reconnected with friends who I hadn't seen in over maybe six or seven years. And they were able to join because it was virtual. And it didn't matter that they were in a different city or even in a different time zone. We were able to reconnect in that way, um, in a very special way. Yeah, I, I would love to experiment with you, Bill, um, or even kind of see how your own experiments um, unfold when we go back to more in-person and see yeah, what, what a nice intersection of the virtual and in-person could be. Yeah, I mean, even this podcast, right? Like, because what we could have done is just like go sit outside somewhere and then like park two microphones and then just talk to each other. Um, you know, or if, uh, if COVID wasn't an issue, like in the old podcast world, it would just like... I don't know, we would, I just, we would just be sitting in your living room and then mm. like having a conversation. But like now it's like, okay, well, it doesn't matter. It's like, we could just talk about things and then share it with our friends and then they can listen to it whenever they want. Yeah, and then you can go and like, go play piano and like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yeah, like do whatever you need to do. There's no, it, it just feels like more easier to like go do things, right? Rather it's like, if you have to like go travel somewhere and then like, you know, put on comfortable clothes and like shoes and go outside. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just feels like much more of a commitment and like, and like, I, I don't think I would have even started a podcast if it wasn't for the fact that everything has just been online. Um, you know, because like, I think 2009 Bill May would have just been like, oh, what's the point? Like, you're not going to be like in person with someone like what it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So yeah, so I, I've definitely changed my mind on that. The other thing um, that I'm definitely experiencing through a work lens is the openness to online convenings, online gatherings. I mean, it basically was, there was no choice for many companies um, and event planners. We had to do it online. But for our own company, it really shifted many people's thinking that, you know, the, the in-person workshops that we always did before the pandemic um, didn't have to all be in-person. There's still a lot of benefit for in-person components, but maybe not all of it has to be in-person. And that actually means we would save a lot on travel costs, a lot on air pollution. Now we, we know that sometimes online works just as well, or in some ways even better than in-person, depending on the context. So I'm excited to see how organizations play around with this hybrid model as well, and how it might have a, a better impact on the environment. It, it's interesting though, though, like I, I do feel like, I don't know, do you feel like you've like made friends with new people through connecting online or has it mostly been like reconnecting with people you have already known? Because per personally, I felt like it's been more of the of the latter. 
Uh, although that just might be me not being creative enough. Yeah, I would say I've definitely made less connections during this pandemic. Um, a lot of my pre-pandemic connections were from traveling around or from meeting people randomly at events um, or, you know, friends or friends. So, yeah, that's another thing that's been on my mind about even people moving out of the city. I'm sensing that as a society, we're becoming more and more fragmented by default. Like if you even think about uh, our parents' generation or grandparents' generation, everyone lived really close together. Like we lived, many people lived in villages or the same apartments with as the rest of their family or, you know, or the same house even with their cousins and aunts and and grandparents. Um, Everybody would watch television shows at the same time and the same Mm. television shows. Yeah, that's crazy nowadays. Yeah, like when was the last time you actually watched a TV show at the same time as the same one with your friend? Apart from like major ones like Game of Thrones. Why did you even watch that? Yeah, there there are some some cultural uh, things that still keep people together, but like it's it's become more and more of the default that like we all are watching things that are unique to what we like in our own time, which in some cases is great, but there's also less and less less and less things weaving us together like weaving us together through shared experiences as a society even as families or as friend circles and um i i would say that it was less often that people would move far away from home like a few generations back i think it's very unique to our generation that most of our friends do not live in the same city as their parents let alone grandparents yeah, I'm actually very lucky. I, I do know a couple of the neighbors really close to me. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, like you, because you know all your neighbors, right? And, like, you live downtown, and it's like, you are in the epicenter of the, the, the people, right? It's like, all the people in the Toronto are, like, in, and, like, you're in the neighborhood, too, where it's, like, all the people are. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm curious, like, how, how do you think that has, like, impacted how you, like, your, your built environment, right? Like, how does that, how has that, like, impacted how you think about community building? If you didn't own your place, right? It's like, it's like, would you, would you be where you are, right? Like, would mm. you be somewhere else? I think that's what, what's really important to me is being physically close with, uh, uh, with with close friends because I I, th- I think my having my close friends within walking distance to me uh, has made such a huge difference in my sanity over the last year and even before the pandemic it feels like there is this beautiful warm hub of connection and yes I do have friends who I, I stay connected with um, over Zoom who are in different cities and it makes a huge difference to um, be able to actually go on walks together, to, to have dinners together. And I, I love the fact that my friends care about me and they feed me because <laughs> I'm not the best cook. But like many of them will just offer, they'll just, they'll just text me randomly and be like, hey, we have dinner. Like we're going to come by and drop it off for you. Yeah, the spontaneity. My friends are great cooks and, I, and they're very generous and um, I, I, I love them to bits. And it's, it's great, right, the spontaneity of just, you know, just feeling like, oh, I, I feel this urge to be with this person right now um, and be able to actually do that. Uh, it's, it's huge. And um, 
yeah, I, I've been thinking, like, you know, I don't have to live in downtown Toronto, but I, I do love where I am because of how close I am to many of my friends. And during non, non-pandemic times, there are so many beautiful arts festivals, music festivals that bring me a lot of joy and really inspire me. Like lots of local businesses and shops and restaurants that I love visiting. Um, it's just all things that I can experience in person. And it's really hard to do that if I was just to move away into the rural place by myself. Maybe, I think it would be bearable if I convinced all my friends to come with me. Yeah. Like we were thinking about, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I've, I've been like thinking like, oh, maybe in the future when I'm kind of tired of being close to noisy roads and construction that like I, I would bring a bunch of my friends along and we would move into a small town somewhere and like we can, I think most of us can work remotely um, so we you know, still, still can keep doing what we're doing work-wise, uh, but live in a place perhaps with more nature. Um, but it would still have to be with them. For sure, yeah. I, I think that is like the, the dream, right? Um, because like, I've also thought about this, right? It's like, like, why can't we just like all agree as our friends to just go into some, you know, the, the Wild West and just build our own town, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just have our own thing, you know? And then like, but then, but so like, like I realized though, the problem is that like everybody... Everybody's dream small town is a different small town. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Maybe we should all just uh, get camper vans and and just drive true. around. Yeah. <laughs> Mobile small well, town. There you go. That's the point of this podcast. We're gonna try to convince all our friends to get camper. Yeah, vans. a mobile commune. I guess Burning Man is a little bit like that. Yeah, it is. I was gonna say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although that's a that's a very different type of event because uh, I think the expectations for that are also different. Hmm. Yeah. Well, with that, uh, we're going to go RV shopping now. Um, But thanks for tuning in to the podcast. (laughs) Great, great transition to to the end, Bill. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's Jessica Fan, everybody. You can learn more about her at jessicafan.ca. And yeah, like I mentioned earlier, this podcast is definitely just an experiment. So please let me know your thoughts, comments, feedback, things you think we should improve or do better for next time. Go to billmay.net and send me an email. And if you like this podcast, give it a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download this this from. Uh, Reviews help other people find this show. And if you want to hear more, you can subscribe to my email list. Uh, It's at billmay.net slash email. I'll send you the latest and greatest podcasts, blog posts, book reviews, or other wild ideas I think you may be interested in. This is the best way to keep in touch with me. Uh, And with that, I shall hopefully hear you next time. Bye.